Good morning, and uh, if you're just now choosing to uh, join us and join with us on Facebook, uh, we're glad you're joining with us at this point. This is Bethany United Methodist Church. We're leading people to experience God, to know Jesus Christ, and to grow in His image. And we're glad with you uh, that you're with us on Facebook. I have to confess, it seems a little strange to be in this room doing worship with so few people in here. Uh, but we're glad we have the technology and you can connect with us. And we're thankful that you're online. We hope you'll continue to connect with us as we move forward through the rest of this time. Uh, we're uh, in a series uh, talking about some of the places in Jesus' life as he moved through his ministry. And this morning we're on the Sea of Galilee, uh, which is also sometimes called uh, the uh, Lake Tiberias or the Sea of Gennesaret. Uh, there's several names for it. It's all the same body of water. It's a large, fresh inland lake. Uh, if you are ever blessed to be able to be there, you'll uh, notice the, the beauty of the place. Uh, it is a, it's a gorgeous place, and early in the morning, uh, especially uh, if you get up, it is really lovely uh, to come and uh, be there on the morning and the shore when it's uh, sun's coming up and the water's very still. It's a beautiful place. We have three stories we're going to touch on uh, around this location this morning. And uh, so I just invite you to travel with us a little bit and let your mind and your heart be in that place as we think and uh, talk a little bit about what Jesus did on the sea. Let's pray. Oh Lord, uh, come and be with us this morning. Even though we are not connected physically as we often are, uh, we know that you are holding us together in your spirit. So uh, gather us up, bring us together, uh, allow us to be in your presence together this morning. May the words of my mouth, may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the, the sea is uh, beautiful, and if you look on the, the shore of it, uh, you can see it's a very rocky kind of shore. And there on the shore one morning, uh, Peter and his friends uh, had gathered their boats uh, up from the evening of fishing and were cleaning the nets at the end of every night. They would take the nets and clean them out and repair them for use for the next day. And so it's in that setting that this story takes place. Once when he was standing on the shore of Lake Gennesaret, the crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God. He noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had just left them and were out scrubbing their nets. He climbed into the boat that was Simon's and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And sitting there using the boat for a pulpit, he taught the crowd. When he finished teaching, he said to Simon, push out into deep water and let your nets out for a catch. And Simon said, master, we've been fishing hard all night and haven't caught even a minnow. I want to pause for a minute. When Scripture is uh, put together, there's a, uh, a very tremendous economy of words that's used because it was a, a much more difficult kind of thing to transmit back in that day before printing presses and such. So you don't get a lot of extras in it. But I want, I want you to picture the scene that Jesus is in this boat. Uh, Peter's sitting in the back of the boat with him. They've been out all night. We've been fishing hard all night. We're tired, Jesus. And, and Jesus is saying to them, okay, now... Uh, Put your nets out in the water in the daylight. Normally they fished in the evening. Uh, they would use torches to draw the fish to them. Uh, it was a more productive way to fish. So now it's the middle of the day or in the morning, and uh, Peter's being asked to do something that normally would not work. And Peter knows this. And, of course, Peter's the fisherman, and, and Jesus is the carpenter. So Peter had to be thinking, what really? What do you really know about what you're doing here, Jesus? I mean, you know, we've been out all night, and... Now you're asking us to do that. And I want you to picture this moment when, when 
Peter is kind of pushing back and saying, we've been fishing hard all night and haven't caught even a minnow. And there's a pause right there where Jesus turned and looked at him, you know, with that look, you know, that kind of do it look that we sometimes give our children. Uh, And so Jesus turns and looks at him and Peter goes, okay, if you say so, I'll let out the nets. It was no sooner said than done, a huge haul of fish straining the nets past capacity. They waved to their partners in the other boat to come help them. They filled both boats, nearly swamping them with the catch. Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I'm a sinner and can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. Sometimes when we find ourselves in the presence of God, in the presence of God's goodness, in the presence of God's love, in the presence of God's greatness, we are immediately and very immensely aware of our failures and our sins and our weakness. And so in that moment, Peter Peter is really feeling who he is and all of his inadequacies. I'll leave. You know, I can't handle this. But Jesus instead... uh, stays with them. When they pull that catch in, all overwhelmed Simon and everyone with him. It was the same with James and John, Zebedee's sons, co-workers with Simon. They pulled their boats up on the beach, left them nets and all, and followed him. Nets and all, left their, their living behind to follow Jesus in that moment. All three of these stories tell us something about Jesus' authority over uh, all of creation, if you will. And and in this story, having taught that, not only do you see that, but you see there's something there. Um, We don't really hear the words that might have been there, but Peter, even in the midst of his awareness of his inadequacy, uh, is still drawn to follow Jesus. Enough so that he leaves his living behind to walk with him and go with him. We talk here a lot of times about worship plus three at Bethany, our, our four pillars of spiritual growth. Uh, And and this morning you're joining us in worship online, Uh, but I'm wondering what kind of call Jesus might be placing on your life, even in the midst of this time, Uh, because whatever time we're in or whatever place we're in, uh, that's where Christ comes to us and calls to us. So even in the midst of this time when the world is so different from what we're used to, what's the call of Jesus on your life? How, how is it that we continue to worship? Uh, we've been playing with that all week long, trying to figure out some of the details of that. Uh, how is it we continue to grow in our discipleship? Uh, is this a time where there's ways to deepen our study of Scripture, uh, to deepen our prayer life, uh, to de- deepen our accountability with each other, even if we can't be physically present with each other? Uh, how is it we can serve in this time when, when we can't actually be in the same proximity with one another, but how is it that we can continue to reach out to each other and help each other? What ways can we do that by telephone or, or over the internet or perhaps picking groceries up for someone or, or different kinds of ways that we can continue to serve Christ by serving each other? And how is it we can continue to be generous in our lives even in the midst of this time. As Sherry mentioned earlier, uh, we're very keenly aware that there are people uh, whose jobs have basically been put on hold or have gone away, uh, and we've already had some requests for help with rent and so forth coming in. So what does it mean to be generous in this time? And how is it you can do that, uh, not only through the church, but how, how can you do that with the people that live around you uh, that may need your help in this time? Now, how is it that God is calling you even in this time? And are you willing to immediately follow or are you like most of us and I confess like I often do where I want to say okay well let me think about that for a day or two Uh, 
What is your answer to that question? The next two stories that happen are placed in the midst of storms. Um, and for me, at least, they're very appropriate for this time as we talk about uh, being in the midst of the storm. I, I don't know how you've been feeling, but I've been feeling like I'm in the midst of a storm all week long. Everything's disrupted. Uh, we're not able to do things the normal way we do. We're not able to see people the normal way we do. Uh, we've done several meetings online over different kinds of uh, uh, webinar kinds of platforms. Uh, we've been on the phone a lot. Uh, things have had to shut down. Things have had to get rescheduled. Uh, kids are home with parents, and parents are having to figure out how to deal with that reality uh, now that you know normally spring break would be coming to an end, but it's not. And so all of us are kind of uh, in the midst of a storm where everything in our lives has been turned over, and we're in this state of upheaval. And, and so, in the midst of that storm, um, what does it mean to be aware of the presence of Christ with us? So these next stories have to do with that. Uh, the first picture I'm going to show you, this is a, a view from the Mount of Olives looking across the lake. Again, you can see the valley on the other side, which is sometimes called uh, the Valley of the Doves. And, and through that, the wind will funnel down and hit the north part of the Sea of Galilee, or Lake Tiberias, as it's called now, and create storms uh, very rapidly sometimes on the surface of that water. Uh, about 30 years ago, there was a drought in this area, and, and the sea dropped quite a bit. The level of the water dropped quite a bit, and when it did, it uncovered uh, various kinds of ruins and relics, and among them was the remains of a fishing boat that dates back to about Jesus' time. Uh, this is all that's left. It's uh, now in Magdala, and if you go there, you can uh, see the, the remains of this. It's been preserved. Based on what they were able to uh, see from this, they, they reconstructed what they figured a fishing boat in Jesus' time would have looked like, something along this line, which is really not too radically different from what you might see if you go there and look these days, where you might see someone in a boat that looks very much like this. And if it's fishing season, fishing time, and they're hauling fish in, there will be several people on this boat. Uh, it'll have quite a bit of fish in it. And as you can see, it will uh, it will end up riding quite low in the water. So it doesn't take a lot of uh, imagination for me, at least, to see if I was on this boat, uh, any kind of wave activity on the lake would be very threatening. I sailed quite a bit in my younger years and uh, know something about being on the water when it's rough and the conditions are tough. Uh, and so, uh, you know, as I, as I look at this, I'm thinking, Boy, that boat just doesn't have near enough freeboard for any kind of rough weather. Uh, but, but nonetheless, you know, when, when they're loaded up, they, they ride low in the water. So the first story uh, is Jesus with the disciples in the boat uh, from Mark's gospel. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. Uh, the lake is sometimes thought of as this side and that side divided by the place where uh, the river comes in from the north. So the other side is on the other side of that stream from the river. And leaving the crowd behind, uh, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. And it doesn't take a lot of imagination to think if you're in a boat that rides this low and the waves come up like this, uh, it pretty rapidly begins to fill with water. 
Modern boats are a a lot safer, and uh, the boats that we used to sail on could be kind of sealed up so that you didn't have to worry about that. But nonetheless, if you were in rough weather like this, it could be very frightening. And I can remember a number of times we would be racing in uh, kind of rough conditions, and I would come home, and the next morning I would get up, and my wife would be saying, well, how'd you get that bruise? I don't remember. Well, how'd you get that bruise? I don't remember. How'd you get that? I, I, I don't remember. I mean... You're trying to keep everything going and keep the boat moving, and so you're doing whatever it takes. Um, But if you were in an open boat like that, uh, instead of worrying about that, you probably would be spending most of your time bailing the water out, trying to keep the thing from going under. So they're, they're in the midst of this kind of a storm, and they're scared to death that they're going to sink in the middle of this lake. And Jesus was in the storm, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and sea obey him. Now, I've I've told my congregation before, the word that's used here is awe, carries that connotation of a little bit of fear as well. Uh, They're a little uh, unsure of this, uh, this person who can speak and all of a sudden the conditions change. And they they verbalize that. Who who then is this? Who is this guy that, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So I want to take you back to John 1. If you've got your Bible out at home, you can go back and flip over there and look at John 1 and read, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and and all things were made through Him, and nothing was made that was made without Him. And then a couple of verses later, we read, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, Who then is, this is the Word made flesh through whom everything was made. I mean, this is Jesus who is not simply the rabbi, but he's also the Lord of all creation. And so if he is the one through whom everything is created, then why should they not obey his voice? But for the disciples, you know, this is a kind of a revelatory moment. We on our end of the story know this already, but for them, this is, this is a revelation and, and a somewhat frightening one. And you hear the initial question they ask, you know what, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And you may have found yourself praying something like that over the past several days. God, don't, don't you care? You know, people are sick and, and people are dying, don't you care? And that's the question we raise up. Now, there, there's two storms taking place in this story. There's the, the storm of the wind and the waves, but there's also a storm occurring inside of each one of those disciples, a storm of, of fear and a storm of doubt. Don't you care? And I suspect that for some of us in this time, we're in the midst of that same storm. Uh, there's the storm of the virus around us, but there's also a storm of, of doubt and fear in the midst of us. And And we forget sometimes that we're in the presence of the one who can quiet the storm. And bring it to rest. Hmm. Second story. This is the very familiar story of Peter walking on the water. 
Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And I hope you're hearing the way that's phrased. He didn't ask them to. He made them. They were going to stay with him while he finished dismissing the crowds and dealing with the people. And he said, no, go on, get in the boat and go. I'll I'll catch up to you later. He's pushing them out uh, onto this adventure. He made them go. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. I've been struck this week in several places that Jesus took time away from the crowds and sometimes time away from the disciples to go and be in prayer, uh, to be in that place of solitude. And one of the things that this period of time when we're all distanced from each other physically allows us to do is uh, perhaps to engage that practice of, of solitary prayer. So if you have not tried that before, you've not been comfortable with it, uh, this might be an opportunity uh, to think about what does it mean for me just to take time and be by myself with God in prayer and learn to be comfortable in the presence of God in a new way. Uh, I mean, if Jesus needed to do this, uh, I'm pretty sure I need to do it, and I I suspect we all are in that place where we need that time alone with God. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up by the mountain to himself, by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, but by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, now you need to hear like you know, 2 or 3 a.m., still dark, early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it's a ghost. And before we judge the disciples, remember, they don't know what you and I know about who Jesus is. So if you saw that, you would probably be terrified as well. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. Now, I'm going to stop for just a second here. Uh, The oldest complete version of the Bible that we're uh, in possession of is called the Septuagint. It's the Greek version, uh, Koine Greek, the common Greek of the time, version of the scriptures. Uh, So uh, in that, when you read through it, all of it's in Greek, including the Old Testament, And the words here, it is I, are the exact same words that are spoken from the burning bush when God speaks to Moses. Uh, Moses has said, you know, when I go to speak to the Israels, who do I tell them sent me? What is the name I shall give them? And God says, I am who I am, uh, ego ami, or in more modern Greek, ero ami. But but here, the word is the exact same in the Greek. Jesus is using the exact language that God used to speak to Moses. Moses. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. I love Peter. Uh, Sometimes he says things he probably wish he could take back. And I suspect this is the moment uh, when he did that. When Jesus said, come, he went, oh, why did I say that? And the other disciples in the boat were probably going, okay, Peter, you said it. You go, buddy. Well, we're here. We got your back. You know, you you step on out there. And, And so... Peter has to get out of the boat. So he got out of the boat and started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I'm indebted to Mike Pilavachi at this point. 
he preaches a sermon on this, and, and one of the things he says in there um, is that he had always heard this as a kind of a, a corrective statement. Oh, you have looked, why did you doubt? Kind of an angry kind of statement. And he said, why, why do we think that? I mean, Jesus immediately reaches out his hand. He doesn't let Peter sink as an object lesson. Uh, he immediately reaches out his hand and grabs him. And perhaps we need to hear him more like a, a parent when you're learning to ride a bicycle and the, and the kid forgets to pedal for a minute and the bike goes down and you go, Ugh, you were doing so good, why'd you stop pedaling? Come on, are you okay? Let's, let's do that again. Ugh, oh, maybe, you know, oh, you a little faith. Why'd you doubt, Peter? And he takes him by the hand. And, and then the interesting thing is that they went back to the boat, right? So Jesus and Peter held hands and walked back to the boat. And the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. In this moment of uh, the two of them walking hand in hand across the water to get in the boat, I mean, what, kind of, what kind of moment would that be if you were in Peter's shoes? And to be holding the hand of the master in a place where the storm had been raging and now is calm and to be walking across the water. So I want you to hold a couple of images from this. I mean, the storm is, is around us. Um, there's really not much you and I can do about the storm. I mean, we can do our part, uh, and, and hopefully you are doing your part to keep distance. I'm um, thankful that many of you uh, heeded our, our words and, our, and stayed home this morning, but to keep distance and to wash your hands and do all the things that we're being advised to do by the authorities, uh, to keep ourselves safe, keep people around us safe. Uh, and we can do that part, but nonetheless, there is a sense, at least for me, very much where I feel a little out of control of what's going on around me. But in the middle of that, I, I can do what Peter has done. I can do with the disciples, which is acknowledge in the presence of Christ, uh, there's something that can quiet the storm in me. You know, in the midst of this, instead of giving in to fear and giving in to doubt um, and giving in to terror at times, uh, I can hold on to Jesus' hand and be in that place of, of peace and quiet. A few weeks back, one of our prayer warriors here came to me and uh, was praying with me, and she gave me the image of, of being in the eye of a hurricane. She said, you know, when, when everything begins to swirl, just, just imagine yourself in the eye of the hurricane. And as a kid who grew up in South Texas and lived through a couple of hurricanes, uh, for me that was a very powerful image because I could remember being a young kid in Victoria uh, when Hurricane Carla came in. And, uh, and I remember the first part of the storm and the, and the wind and the, the noise. It's, it's hard to overstate how loud a storm like that is. I mean, it, the wind sounds like a train is going through your backyard and you can hear things hitting your house and you can hear wood splintering and you can hear glass breaking uh, and, and being in the midst of that. And, and then all of a sudden it was like somebody flipped a switch and it went dead calm as we entered into the eye of the storm. And while my parents were boarding up windows and patching things in the house, uh, my sister and I went out into the backyard, which probably was not the safest thing to do, but we were little kids and didn't know better. But we went out there and the sky was blue. Uh, the birds were flying in the eye of the storm and, and uh, singing and chirping. Uh, it, it was like a gorgeous you know, spring summer day. And, and we were out there just marveling at the fact that a minute before we'd been in the midst of this ferocious storm, and all of a sudden here we were in this beautiful day. 
Our, our parents did gather us up before the next wall of the storm came through, so obviously we made it through it okay. But, but that image of, of being there in, in the midst of a raging storm and yet having this place of still and calm and peace is the image I have when I think of, of Peter standing on the water holding the hand of Jesus. As we come through this storm and we're in the midst of it, we can do our part to try to be part of the healing of this instead of the, the promotion of the illness. But we can also hold on to the hand of Christ in the midst of this. And we can find that, that place of peace in the midst of the storm. Where instead of being terrified and wondering if we're going to survive, we, we hold on to the hand of the Master. And in the love of Christ, we know we're going to be okay. So I want to encourage you to kind of hold that image in your mind and your heart over the coming weeks. Um, we don't know if this storm is going to be a few more weeks or a few more months or how long we're in it. But perhaps because we don't know the length of time, it's that much more important for us to quiet the storm that's within us uh, by holding the hand of the Master. And being in a place of peace. Outside my home church in Corpus, there's a bronze sculpture of Jesus uh, in, in the bow of the boat as he's preaching. Uh, and we took this picture one morning as the, the sun was coming up over the bay. Uh, I have it on my screensaver on my computer. I have a copy of it at home. Uh, it just reminds me of being on the Sea of Galilee when it is at peace and calm and as an image that I've held on to as we've gone through this. I just want to share that with you this morning and invite you to hold on to that image as well. Uh, as we move through this time, um, how is it that in the midst of the, the storm that we're in, how is it that God is calling you? Uh, how is it that God is speaking peace into your life? How is it that God is uh, reaching out and saying, you can actually get out of the boat of that fear. You can get out of that and come with me and hold my hand. And we can walk across the water and be at peace. Let's pray. Mighty Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. Through him, everything was made that was made and nothing was made without him. And with him, we know that we are in a safe place. Even in the midst of the storm that's raging around us, we can hold to his hand and know that our spirits are safe with him. So let your peace rest upon us. Let your calmness be in us. Let your assurance be in us. Give us a place and a time to walk through the midst of this storm in your presence. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.